In today's episode, we are sitting down with Leonie Akidanor. Leonie wears many hats, including mom of two toddlers, property developer by day, podcaster by night, hosting her own show, The Parenthood Podcast. Leonie is also a relationship coach and part-time model, so she is certainly well-versed in juggling it all. So welcome to the podcast, and yeah, we're just so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me on. Can we kick off the episode by you telling us a little bit about yourself, your family, and where you live? Yeah, absolutely. So I have uh, two little toddlers. So I have a nearly three-year-old and a four-and-a-half-year-old. I live in Melbourne. And uh, yeah, I started my own podcast as well. So I love what you guys are doing too. It's um, great to give content to people that you know resonate. So love that. And can you talk us through a little bit about your podcast? I love your podcast. I think it resonates with anyone, any parent. Um, so yeah, tell us why you started that and what a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So I had both pre and postnatal depression with both of my children. Uh, that was a really tough time. For the second child, Charlie, it was COVID. We were in lockdown in Melbourne. And I think that just made everything, obviously, for a lot of us worse. Um, and so when Charlie was six weeks old, I was really craving hearing other people's stories of like struggle. So there's a lot of podcasts um, that were out there that were like, you know, these are the things you can do to support yourself. But I was like, no, I want to hear the juicy stories. I want to hear what happens behind closed doors. And so I ended up starting this podcast, Parenthood. And initially it was actually called Mum Life. And we we were Mum Life for about six episodes. And what I was realizing was I was hearing the struggles from the mum side, but I was like, where are the partners in this? And what are they, they saying to all of these sort of challenges that we that are presented to us on the daily as parents. And so I changed to parenthood and uh, often I'll bring on couples to discuss their, you know, biggest challenges. Uh, it's actually evolved now where our, our audience will, um, you know, call in with anonymous confessions around what is keeping them up at night. And we, get, we air both mums and dads confessions and uh, basically discuss them as topics. So it really is a resource now for both parents, um, regardless of relationship um, structure and et cetera, but to really listen in and feel less alone in the struggles that they might be experiencing. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it's just a topic that, you know, and Joe and I see as well. It resonates throughout our podcast whenever we talk about having children and the changes that come with that. And I'm sure there's so many topics that we can chat about today with all of your many um, hats, but we'd love to kind of focus on the impact and the changes that parenthood does have on a couple's relationship. So I guess, you know, like most parents, I can attest to the fact that it put a major strain on our relationship for the last 12 months. And we were, our daughter was very much planned. We were very much ready. We were in a great you know, position in life financially and all of that kind of thing. And it still was and still is extremely challenging. Um, and, you know, that's the cliche things of sleep deprivation. Well, not cliche, but, you know, the things that you kind of expect, sleep deprivation. And then there's a lot of other things like the mental load and that maybe you don't think about before you're a parent. Um, so, yeah, can we chat more more about this topic that I know both of you, I'm sure, can attest to as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess first and foremost, the, one of the biggest challenges when people come on and call in and all of that, and we're, I don't know, nearly 85 episodes deep, so we've been going for a little while and got some really great content from um, from people out in the public. And I think one of the biggest challenges really is a resentment piece, particularly as early parents. So, you know, from, and I'm being a bit stereotypical here, understanding that there are same-sex couples and things like that, but just in general, from a heterosexual couple, if the female, let's call it again, on average, the female will likely stay home for a period of time and the husband will continue to work. And um, the female often will feel the initial 
um, thing of resentment of, you know, I'm here chained to this baby who I love so dearly and they are everything to me, but gosh, I just want to have a shower and I just want to go to the toilet on my own without feeling like I've constantly got this thing that needs me. And that is a real shift and it's really challenging for a lot of people because literally overnight you go from, okay, I'm just independent doing my thing to, okay, I've got this little gorgeous thing, but it's tied to me. So and then similarly, the, the partners and typically the dads who have come on have said, look, you know, we feel a level of resentment and stress by the fact that we have to leave and, you know, we'll often go to work and, you know, we'll, we'll want to race back to see the little baby and, you know, we've potentially missed things that have happened throughout the day. And then obviously our partners is exhausted when we get home. And so there might be a little bit of, you know, disgruntled kind of like a dynamic um, between the two because everyone's just surviving, right? So I think, yeah, resentment and if you are feeling that in your relationship and, you know, it is so normal, all of us, I think at some point in our relationships have felt that way um, because you can only, your experience is your experience, but then your partner's experience is something completely different. And when you are, as you said, Eliza, sleep deprived and all the things, you can kind of only handle so much. And, you know, yeah, you're getting a perspective from from your side of things. And yeah, it might not always gel and you might not always be your best self around your partner during those times. We've spoken about this a lot on our podcast about how historically we lived in a society where there was a village looking after a child and, you know, back in the day, yeah, 200, 300 years ago, a woman will have given birth, probably seeing many births beforehand, but more importantly then having a whole village to raise her child, her mother, her mother-in-law, sisters, siblings, um, you know, a whole range of people. And now we feel, you know, that sense of isolation, particularly as couples navigate and in what is very strange times because, you know, historically my dad and the dads of dads now really didn't do much dadding. They pretty much just, you know, you know, we always talked about the the golf widows where the husband was off for the weekend and never seen. So there's this new dynamic that's now happening with with predominantly the men or the partners who are also taking that additional burden. And I think one of the other things that's really a strange dynamic as well is the fact that, you know, particularly as a as a partner, you're so used to your, you know, the birth mother having been the centre and the focus of your world and, and there's yours and now that's been taken away because there's this person in the middle that's sort of, you know, obviously everyone loves but is taking time, sucking the, the life juices out of a relationship because they're just demanding so much time and attention. How have you navigated the partners? What You know, what obviously 80, 80 episodes in, what are the, some of the, the tricks of the trade that, that partners and, 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 and birth mothers have come up with to sort of navigate that difficulty? Yeah, look, I think, I mean, it sounds very um, generic, but saying something like communication, and I know, you know, we scream it from the rooftops, it's so important to communicate how you're feeling. Um, that is predominantly the number one thing. I, I'll actually give you an anecdotal story here. So with my, with my personal resentment, um, I let it build up. So I was like, it's okay, just keep going, keep going. Jules went, my husband went back to work after after, I think it was, less than a week when I'd given birth. I was fortunate to have my parents around to support. Um, however, at, you know, at some point I was 
on my own a lot and I didn't say much. Um, I was trying to juggle, you know, doing this little podcast and doing other things too, because for my own mental health, I, for me to, to, I shouldn't say just look after a child because that is a huge job in itself, but to do that in an isolation, you know, sort of thing that wasn't for me. So I wanted to do other things too. So I felt a huge amount of resentment by the fact that Jules could walk out the door, have his time, go do his job and then come home and be part of the family unit again. Um, for me, I didn't communicate that. So I let it go, let it go. And I think it was about seven months into having Charlie that we were at a dinner party. It always comes out when like the, at the worst way, if you don't talk about it, I guess this is the lesson here. We're at a dinner party, you know, the kids are with a babysitter and um, it's nearing 12 o'clock. We were walking distance from home. And I said to Jules, Hey, once we finish this drink, we'll probably just head, head off. Right. I'm thinking 12 o'clock babysitter. I'm thinking tomorrow stuff. I'm thinking mental load as you alluded it to all, all the things, right? Jules is sitting there and he's like, oh, I reckon we could just have like one more wine. And then someone at the table goes, oh, no, no, you guys can't leave. Well, yeah, have another wine. What do you, you know? And I'm death staring Jules. because, And I was like, how could he just sit there so like relaxed, not thinking about, you know, 12 o'clock is nearing and all the things we've got to do and, you know, resentment's building. So I death stare him. And, and then he like looks over and he goes, Oh, okay, right. That that I, I know that looks. So soon after we head off, we get home and I'm just all this pent up resentment just comes, you know, I vomited out and I'm just kind of like, I'm just so stressed that and sick of the fact that it seems like my life has changed so much. It seems like yours has. Yeah, totally respect that, but but perhaps not to the same extent that mine has. And it was a very unproductive conversation at 12 o'clock at night. The next day we revisited it and you know, and you know, you find ways to sort of deal with it. So I guess step one would be, you know, and this is what they, the research says and everything, never try to have a conversation about how, like when you are in a really heated place because it will be completely unproductive. It will be, the other person will just think, you know, they won't get the key message that you're trying to, you know, communicate, etc. So if you are feeling these things are building for you, I, I'm really big on like write, write it down, have a little journal or just something where you can kind of articulate in the best way possible what the actual issues are versus what the story around the issues and the fluff may be. Because I think if you can stick to facts and, you know, and the the core issues, when you are in that more calm place, i.e. maybe you're pushing the pram around a park and you have an opportunity to air these grievances in a more calm, you know, environment, then you kind of know you know, what your pointers are and what you're trying to communicate and you'll be in a better resolution mode versus me at 12 o'clock at night after a dinner party. So <laughs> We've been there many a time, very similar situation. And it does, right? It builds and it builds and it builds. And I think the other thing is, is that you get such a finite amount of time together after you have a child and that finite amount of time can so easily often turn into nothing but arguing. And so it is easy to build that resentment because you think, oh, shit, we've got five minutes or, you know, 20 minutes before bed and that's it. That's all of our time. So if I bring up an argument now, I'm spoiling, spoiling another day. And so it does. It's so easy to let that build and build and build and build. So that's yeah, great advice. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's a big one. I, um, and as you said, to your point, it is really difficult to find those nuggets of time where the two of you can be in a calm, you know, like not exhausted state and be able to best articulate how you're both feeling. Um, I think another layer to this is um, the fact that often the, the dads or the partners um, will say, I feel, yes, to your point, Joe, I feel now where all of our attention is on the baby. And also, you know, 
birth mother is maxed out by touch. And so I can't, like, we're not even talking about, you know, having sex or anything, but just like the little intimacy things, you might just the, the hand on the back or the whole hand holding as you're walking or like these really small things of um, showing affection might kind of not be there at all. And so the partner can be left feeling as though like, wait, hold on, like where's the love and connection here? And that doesn't help the resentment piece either. Yeah, that's so true. I remember a month ago now I shared on Bump and Bub on my platform pretty much exactly that and it was resentment had built. Zadie had finally gone to sleep and I've shared openly a lot about this, but we, she is a very difficult sleeper. She has been from day one. She's up until a month ago, she's never had less than like five to seven wake-ups a night. It's been a very long year. And I remember we'd just gotten out of bed and it had been like an hour of rocking and I was talking about how tired and over it I was and how I was just sick of breastfeeding every five seconds and blah, blah, blah. And at the time I thought, I thought Stuart had the nerve. He touched my leg and was like, I'm so sorry. And I was like, how dare you touch me? Lost it, like full on argument, made him leave the bedroom. Like my beautiful mother-in-law sitting in the room with me, probably thinking what on earth. Um, but just, and and it's so funny that resentment and Obviously, it builds into sleep deprivation as well, and you just become a different human. You, you're so touched out. You know, I, I, breastfeeding as well for me was something I, I didn't think, even though I'm a midwife, I didn't think about how intense it is to have someone physically needing you after pregnancy so, so frequently for comfort, for hunger, for everything, for nutrition, for sadness, for boredom. They just... And, and that obviously kind of it, it intensified to you know, the older she got for me. Anyway, it became more and more intense. She wanted to feed so often. And, yeah, it obviously plays into a relationship where you don't even want to touch someone to touch you at night. <laughs> it sends you off the deep end. So how, such how important How do you navigate topics. this notion that, yeah, exactly the intimacy issue? And uh, I think one of the things is the baby's so latched on. You're right. As, you know, you're overstimulated in terms of the care for the child. But how does a woman disengage from the, you know, being a mum for a little bit and just focusing on herself? And, uh, you know, what, what strategies have you learned for, through the podcast, having spoken to couples that they've employed in order to get there to give, I think, you know, one of the things is if you can break that, that cycle of just constantly just being effectively, uh, uh, you know, uh, at the beck and call of this little, little creature that, you know, just seems to sleep, eat and excrete the whole time. What, what else, <laughs> what, what, what are the strategies people are coming up with? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a valid point. And this is basically step one. You can't give from an empty cup. So as far as intimacy and, you know, relationship connection and things go, it's, yeah, carving out that self-care time. So a lot of people have said, okay, well, within our routine, I mean, it might be the 10 o'clock feed, you know, partner does that enabling the the mum or the birth mother to sleep for a longer period or there are things that they put into their routine so that you know birth mum can go and have a bath or can go for a walk you know by herself or whatever it is listen to a podcast as they are I don't know you know and they're these little nuggets and it might be because a lot of I remember even from my own experience but from what others are saying as well you know you sort of look at this self-care piece and go I just don't have time for that like what would you mean an hour to go for a run that was my thing pre 
kids. Like I go for a run for an hour. I'm like, gosh, I don't have five minutes now. So what we've got to do is really reframe um, the, you know, the time period required for self-care. And it's more about the frequency. So it's more like if you know you've got 15 or 20 minutes carved out, you know, in a bit of a routine way, um, then you can start feeling like yourself again. Then you can start feeling sexy in your own body. Like it needs to start from there. And then I guess step number two is if you can carve out time as a couple. And again, I appreciate that that can be really difficult, but it, you know, that's when without baby around, you can start reconnecting. But look, we say all of this. I just think the first year is a bit of a shit show. <laughs> I'm like, you you know, in a perfect world, yeah, you have your self-care time and you have your couple time. And, and, but I know particularly for us, when we were in a tough spot, when we, when the babies started sleeping, you know, we did the sleep school thing, um, about eight months in, they're finally sleeping at night. We can finally have a babysitter. We can finally go for a dinner, you know, but prior to that, it was really, really tough. And to your point, Joe, as well, we don't all have villages to help raise our children. So often it's the parents that are doing the doing. And so, yeah, carving out that time can be difficult. But I think, yeah, two steps there. Firstly, trying to carve out that self-care time, however long that might be for you. Uh, secondly, is trying to have a little bit of time away from the baby as a couple, if you can. One of the things that I've noticed, particularly, you know, obviously I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I get to care for, you know, in excess of 300 women going through birth every year. And and I sort of, in that six-week postpartum check, I often just ask them how things are going quite obviously. And we, we always check in on mental health. And one of the things that I've found is that the people that, I think there's this sense that as a woman, you've got to be all-encompassing, capable and able and independent. And I think that's that's been impressed not only upon women over the last 20 or 30 years, but certainly on, I can see my daughter as well, you know, she the 17-year-old. She's like, well, you know what, I'm a woman, I can do it all by myself. And that notion of the village is completely gone. And I think one of the things that I find people do is, number one, they don't ask for help. And number two, if help is forthcoming, they'll actually deny that help. They'll say, no, look, I'm right, I'll be able to do it. And to their detriment. And so one of the things that I've always said to, to a lot of my patients is that if someone offers to help you, take the opportunity. If If you feel like you need help, and this is true of a couple or a single woman, then demand the help and and don't sit there and think that you can do everything yourself because we weren't designed to do everything ourselves. We were designed to work in a community. We were designed to to work within a social construct that actually allowed for enrichment in the in the growth and the development of the child merely just simply um, you know uh, yourself. And I think this is also true in our family dynamic as well. We've sort of somewhat sheltered our older children from the burden of being looking after their sibling. And I think that's terrible. I think that as a young child, you've got an opportunity to give that child enrichment from the 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 involvement of the siblings within that structure. It helps with their mental health. It helps with both sides' mental health and also in creating independence for the older children as well as also the younger children. So that's the biggest one of the biggest lessons that I've sort of thought about is that you know, help is there. Sometimes you just got to go looking for it and it doesn't have to be paid for either. Absolutely. I don't know if it's womanhood or what it is, but I think often we feel like a burden when people do offer to help. We almost feel like it's a nicety. It's not something they actually want to do. And now I'm a mum. I, I 
you know, when I'm offering my help, I genuinely mean it. Like if you, if you need something, if you need a coffee and it's, it's not a burden to me. And I think it is like what you're saying, Joe, it is hard to accept help, especially, you know, we all come from different childhoods, different backgrounds, and we're all raised differently. Um, but yeah, that's something. And Stuart being, you know, going into this parenthood journey with Stuart has been interesting because my background is like, when you ask for help, it's weak. And that's kind of the notion that I wouldn't say brought up with, but it's, it's always kind of back in, in the back of my mind. Like you should be able to do this by yourself. Like you don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that's come from. As Yana Pittman said, drink some concrete and harden up. Exactly. That's what her <laughs> father said to her. That's right. Um, but whereas Stuart, if he needs something, and, and from the moment we met, I was 21, and he would ring his friend and he would say like, oh, I need you to come and help me today, mate. I need to go and do this, that, and that. And I'd be like, wow, you can just ask so directly for what you need. And that's such a unique skill. And I still say like you're so blunt like now you live in Australia you need to learn to like fluff things up a little bit you can't be that blunt but he'll happily call and or anyone or anything and he'll ask for a favor and he'll return the favor obviously but it's a really beautiful trait and it's something that I do hope that Zadie my little girl has because it is it's unique and I still haven't mastered that at all but yeah it's asking for help is is so pivotal especially Uh. in parenthood Absolutely. And I struggled with that too, Eliza. Like it's, yeah, that was not something that was natural for me. As we're talking, I'm thinking about those who perhaps don't have a lot of people to ask for help from, right? So I'm thinking about a friend of mine who's actually going through a separation at the moment. Uh, She's now a single mum with two toddlers um, and both of her parents have passed away. She has one auntie that lives about an hour out of Melbourne. And outside of that, she's kind of on her own. So um, one thing, I mean, for those listeners, there might be people out there perhaps with similar circumstances, maybe their family or overseas or, or whatever that can look like. One thing that I'm seeing from her and other people, single parents that I do speak to is there are a lot of resources out there. You just need to seek them. Um, for example, uh, she's very active on like a Facebook group when she's got questions about the children. She's like, oh, hey, guys, has anyone else experienced this? Like this is a bit weird, you know, or whatever. And she finds that like a, an, a layer of connection for her in her life. She's also actually recently um, – this not a plug for mums who wine, but it's a network which is amazing. So I guess this is kind of a plug for them. But um, so it's a a network for mothers to essentially get together for different events and things like that. She's just signed up to that because she's like, now that her children are at, are at daycare, she's like, I need to start building a bit of a community. And now, particularly because all, all of our couple friends are kind of like, you know, it's a bit precarious because we're going through this separation. You know, I'm really keen to meet new people. And so she's putting herself out there. So I guess, yeah, for those who perhaps don't have the village, seeking the village and also listening to resources like, you know, these podcasts and things like that to feel less alone in in your struggle can be a good place to start. It's also interesting how different communities around the world approach these issues. And I know that, for example, in France, when a woman gives birth uh, in that sort of pivotal moment soon after birth, they actually help and supply people into the household to help with cleaning and to help with cooking. It's one thing that we don't do very well here. We don't have that sense of community that's actually coming from the actual the government in order to help support our support us. You've talked about some programs. Have you heard of any specific programs that are out there to help individuals apart from obviously Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, that's a good question. I know there are a lot. So Mums Who Won is um, one of the quite a prominent one. Um, I actually uh, have had their founder come onto the podcast to discuss that further. That's a great one. Um, Outside of that, 
none that really come to mind. But what I know is that there are there is a bit out there, and I was actually saying, Eliza, before we started that. As mothers, uh, there are a fair few resources, even as far as podcasts go. There's a lot of more mum podcasts than there are dad-oriented podcasts, right? Similarly, within the event space, there appears to be a lot, um, not a lot, but there are options for mothers to kind of um, connect. So, uh, yeah, none that come to mind necessarily, but I know they're out there. Um, and the other missing piece is, yeah, what, what about the dads, which was kind of where my podcast started from around. I want to hear from the dads and how they're going because it's not necessarily necessarily easy for you know either people in the couple and so um you know yeah for the dads it just seems a little bit more limited but you know it's again just you know tapping into people's you know friendship groups and perhaps through the daycare as well I mean my my girlfriend um, that I mentioned earlier is always hanging around daycare and sort of yeah really keen to sort of be meeting people through those avenues too so yeah, things to think about. How did you go? I mean, I, I, we were involved with the mothers group or, you know, parents group when the, the children were born. And we, I, I think maybe with Kiara when, again, she's 17 and so the couples tended to be a little bit older so we didn't engage with that group. And then we sort of didn't go for the second kid and certainly by the fourth, uh, third rather, we were sort of like, oh, we know what we're doing now so we don't need to engage. But, but from your perspective, Liani, and obviously yourself as well, Eliza, did you sort of form any friendships from the mothers group? I initially, when I went, I was like, okay, this is great as a resource really to to better understand how others are feeling with their newborns and, you know, perhaps get some tips and tricks. Uh, after our, you know, they have the compulsory, not compulsory, but they have the structured sessions that you can attend. We, after that, we did meet up a few times in the area, um, but then it kind of dropped off as people went off to work and things like that. But funnily enough, I've actually got two people from that mother's group that I still do communicate with now and they that was from four and a half years ago. So I think, yeah, it's definitely a resource. And the other thing that actually comes to mind is like things like Rhyme Time at the library. I have Now I have a friend from Rhyme Time. You know, there are things in your community that you can look to tap into. So no, we certainly weren't that group where all eight of us are going to be friends for life kind of thing. But I guess you sort of find your people in amongst the mix. I don't know, Eliza, how was it for you? I love rhyme time. <laughs> love rhyme time. Um, yeah, I think it's similar. I think, again, like pre, pre-existing thoughts of, you know, I'm going to have a child and I'll bond with all of these mums in my mum's group. We're all wildly different. We have nothing in common except for the fact that we have a child. Um, so I think it is. It's finding your people in, in, you know, a sea of other people. I think it's nice to have parents who are going through the same age group and that's been really special. And I'm fortunate enough to have Bump and Bub and I've met so many people through there. Um and I have made some really beautiful friends, but we've actually just enrolled Zadie in daycare, which I'm so nervous about. But um, even just knowing that, you know, she's going into this class, I think there's 12 of them and we ha- I happened to meet one of the other mums um, and I was like, you're so cool. You're totally going to be my friend. But, you know, there's so many avenues to meet people, like-minded people. Um, and like you said as well, there's these Facebook groups. There's, you know, for me, obviously my interests are very different, vastly different to someone else, you know, finding other mums who enjoy podcasting, um, business and podcasting and midwifery and all of these different aspects. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's like finding friends. I think as an adult it's hard. <laughs> but I do think that having children is a unique um, point in which a lot of people develop new friends as, as, a, as an adult. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of community things as well. Like you said, there's rhyme time, there's little sensory classes. Um, we're lucky to live by the beach. There's some beautiful little mums, like yoga classes and stuff on the beach. Um, and it is hard and scary putting yourself out there. And, 
I think, yeah, it's essential. I think it's essential. I talk about it all the time, creating your kind of mama tribe around you during pregnancy. And I didn't really practice what I preached. I was too busy working. Um, but it, it is really essential. And if you can do antenatal classes and you can, you know, exchange numbers and put yourself out there, I think it's great. I've met more people in my local health food store, more mums that I've become friends with than anywhere else. So, you know, any opportunity, take it, grasp it. Um, and yeah, it's just important to have that support and that 3am, like, what the fuck is this going to get easier? Because holy moly, I can't do this again. Like how do people have more than one child? All these discussions are so important and it's great to have with someone in the same boat. That's interesting. You say you met people at uh, the health food store. Nat, mm. my wife went down to the local whole food store there and as she's walking through it, she thought, my God, this, this place resembles something. And then she realized it looked like Handmaid's Tale. Like it was just, you know, that bland, <laughs> scoopy thing walking around. And she went to the, to the lady at the front counter and said, do, do you realize this place looks like Handmaid's Tale, like the supermarket there? And the lady said, yeah, I can't unsee it now. That's a little bit weird. But every Whole Foods store now, as I think about it, is very bland like that, isn't it? It's so weird. I might have run the other way if I'd heard yeah, that comment. I'm exactly. not going to lie. But. Now you're probably unseen, not unseen as well. Leonie, tell us a little bit. I mean, one of the things that it, it's, it is difficult, it's, it's that identity issue that you talk about and, and a woman who loses her identity because now she's become a mum, which is, I think, the best identity you could have. But you lose that sense of self and then you're wanting to get back into that sense of self. How did you navigate that, that time from motherhood heading into becoming, you know, a career woman again and balancing the juggle of all of that. Yeah, and it's a tough one, isn't it? And one we speak about a lot as well um, through the podcast and, and meeting other parents. Um, I, for a bit of context, before having children, I was like that work hard, play hard kind of person. So I've always been, you know, relatively ambitious, having like these goals that I'm chasing. And then also though, I have a always had a big social life. And so that kind of um, counteracted, I guess, all of the the hard work. So that was me. And so that lifestyle is not conducive to being a parent at all, because all <laughs> of a sudden you are forced to, to slow down. And I used to run hot always. Um, so I think that's where even in pregnancy, my mental health was just yeah, no good at all because I, I couldn't move quickly and I couldn't do the things and I felt so tired and I felt so, you know, and it just, I think they often say the type A's and probably um, Joe, this is probably more your area, but um, the people that are the type A's, at least I've noticed from friends and speaking to people, tend to be the ones that have that little bit more of a challenge um, when, you know, after having their first child because they can't do what essentially their identity, uh, you know, was all about. So, um, yeah, I look, I really struggled with that. Um, and then I found the podcast and then I actually um, would – so that really helped open up doors for me and just hearing other people's stories and conversations and also having a little initiative that I was working on um, while I was, you know, had taken time off work kind of gave me that sense of purpose. But all of a sudden I realized, wow, something like a podcast, I would never have even thought to do pre-children because the way in which I grew up was you always do things that make sense and you be very strategic and you make sure you can commercialize things and you make sure, you know, and it was always very like take the safe route, right? So, you know, I went to the uni and I became a management consultant and I, you know, I would have pre-babies been like, I don't like, what's a pod, like podcast? Like I don't have time. And like, what am I going to get out of that? And so I'd really sort of squashed my creative, you know, um, you know, 
needs really um, and pre-children. But then when I was in just the really tough mental health period, um, I just started thinking, well, what's the point? What? Yeah, it really gave me a shift around where do I want to be spending my time? Is it doing the safe things, uh, property development and the very serious things? Or, hey, I used to always love acting. I actually really wanted to be a TV presenter when I was younger and until I was conditioned to, you know, take the safe route. So I was like, actually, I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm going to do a podcast. And even if it makes me no money, which for a long period of time, it didn't, it was a hobby. Um, I'm going to invest time and energy in that. And then through that, all of a sudden there was an opportunity to start working with some brands. And I was like, actually, that sounds fun. Like, so all of a sudden I gave myself permission to try new things because I just, it was such a shift in identity at that point in time. So, um, and now here I am off being, you know, doing some coaching, which I never would have done pre-children and, and also just, yeah, trying to juggle it all to your point. So look, it's the juggle is real. It's certainly not easy, but what I've sort of realized is, um, you will prioritize things in your life that mean the most to you and you will make time for them. So for example, the podcast, you know, I had a little newborn, I would be like, you know, planning and things because I was so passionate about it whilst I don't know like watching my kid roll around on the floor I was in my phone on notes like oh this that's a good idea for that podcast episode but I loved it and so I was like you know you make time for it I don't know like even Eliza from your perspective I mean you're doing a fair bit how did you juggle do you look after child and also kind of be looking into other endeavors as well or how does how does it work on your end yeah I think yeah exactly so much of what you said I'm just sitting here nodding my head I'm gonna have a sore neck tomorrow but like (laughs) totally agree with everything that you said um and I think I like probably a lot of women I thought that being a stay-at-home mum was what I wanted to do from when I was just tiny I remember being like that's 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 it that's my you know I want to be a stay-at-home mum and like good on you to any stay-at-home mums because holy hecker, it's the toughest job in the world. There is no reprieve. There is no breaks. It is just unbelievable. Um, and so for me, I very quickly realized that that isn't actually what I wanted to do. And after an entire day or an entire, you know, entire week, 24 hours a day at home, I wasn't myself. I felt miserable. I didn't feel inspired. I felt like just yeah, not great. And when I started stepping into doing all the things that I am doing back again, and I actually let go of this notion that I had to be at home full time and I had to, you know, all these preconceived notions that you have of how you're going to be the best possible parent. And I started doing things that actually fill up my cup. And even if they were small, like, you know, this beautiful podcast and all of the business endeavors that I do. um, And yeah, a a lot of different things. I go home and I'm a happier person. I'm much more inspired. I'm so happy to sit on the floor and like play for a little while. Whereas previously I'd be like, oh my God, it's been 20 minutes. I swear I've been here for hours. Like I'm so sick of this creative play and I can't be a cow and a dog and a pig and a chicken anymore. And I don't want to do this. Um, But all of a sudden you kind of walk back into it and you feel, you know, loving and inspired and all of these beautiful things. So um the juggle, yeah, the juggle is so real and I think we are very much in the phase now of trying to put things into place um, to maybe get that juggle less of a juggling act because it's an awful lot and the first 12 months, like you also said, have just been, for lack of a better word, an absolute shit show in terms of sleep um, and now that she is sleeping a bit better, we're kind of starting all the things like looking into or starting a daycare and going back into the office a few days a week and We've got a, a cleaner that comes, which is really helpful. And like we get meals delivered sometimes and just having these things as to fall back on a little bit because it is it is a lot. But I also know that I'm not willing to give up 
all of the things that make me me because I'm actually not a very happy person if I'm not doing all of these things outside of full-time motherhood. Um, and that was a steep learning curve. And you have, you know, I still feel a lot of guilt. Like yeah, this morning when we, all, we also did a podcast this morning and I left and Zadie was just screaming for me. And I was like, just trying not to cry, trying not to cry, trying not to cry. And you do, you feel so much guilt. But when I walk back in, she's, you know, she's still fine. She's fine. She's loving. She's beautiful. And I feel a hundred times better. So yeah, it's just about making parenthood look the way that you actually want to make it look and not about all the preconceived notions or society's expectations as well. Liana, it's quite interesting you said that you, you know, you're missing that creative side and, you know, you're going to be in or do acting and that sort of stuff. I, I've always wanted to do voiceover work. And, oh, uh, yeah. you know, I practiced when it was the Sydney 2000 Olympic Games and I'm always vying for that, you know, that role. I'd love to, you know, welcome in the AFL Premiership season, you know. Welcome to the 2023 <laughs> AFL Premiership season. You know, that sort of stuff, you know. We get so That was good. Thank you very much. Uh, we get very we get very much regimented in what we do, yeah. And and part of that, I suppose that creative element is that what what it brings with it. And like you said, it's brought opportunities outside, you know. One day you know, we uh, we might all be hosting our own television show but what what sort of things that you've you've touched on a few things what what by doing the podcast what has that led to i know you touched about brand ambassadorships and all that sort of stuff but where's what what path has it led you towards yeah, so I think I'm starting to get closer to that childhood dream of, uh, you know, of really, I always kind of wanted to, yeah, get amongst it, do a bit of TV, do, you know, and so basically the podcast led to an opportunity to work. Actually, it was a bonds campaign that they wanted real parents to talk about their experience on camera. So I did that one campaign. Um, the, the production group really liked me and they said, oh, hey, like, would you consider doing another campaign for another brand? And then it got to a point where someone said, go and get an agent if you, because I loved, I love being in front of the camera. And I think it's like, it's the only time I feel like in my life where I can just sit and not be on my phone, on my laptop, you know, and not feeling the pressure of having to do a million things other than when I'm family time and stuff, obviously. But the point I'm making is I'm the type of person at the hairdressers, I've got my laptop in my lap and I'm just smashing away on the, like, I don't just sit. And so often when I'm doing a campaign or something and they're zhuzhing up the lighting and they're all spinning wheels around me and I just have to sit there, wait till it's my turn to act or whatever (laughs) it looks like. I'm like, God, I should be paying you guys. Like, this is like meditation for me like I never get to do this right and as a parent when you're at home how often do you just get to sit on the couch like in silence and everyone else is spinning wheels around you and you can just kind of sit there right so um yeah so I and I realized I have a great passion for that so I've got myself an agent now and so I do more things with brands and do um now I've actually um done a few tv commercials as well so I'm sort of nearing that passion of like yay like you know the tv kind of goals as like a young five-year-old um and so yeah so that was one layer of it and the other layer is after speaking to so many couples and and single parents, both mums and dads, I realized that I love relationships and I love understanding how people are navigating them, particularly in challenging times. And so from that, I thought, hey, I'm going to go off and do a coaching course and work with couples and help them sort of achieve their goals as a couple. Typically, I work with parents um, and, you know, I, I as well, given that I do have a few moving pieces with all the things I'm doing, I, I cap it at I only work with three couples at a time. Like that's it for me 
for a period of time because I also have a full-time job and, and, you know, do other initiatives. So uh, again, you make it work based on, you know, the time that you have. Um, One thing I will say is it is a privileged position to be able to afford things like childcare, to be able to afford babysitters and nannies. And so I really want to recognize that for the parents out there who perhaps can't afford those things or it's, you know, not an option for them. Um, And they do have a passion as well. I guess I would encourage them to think about, you know, when they're on the weekend and perhaps that if they've got a partner, their partner's around, you know, just communicating that, hey, I'd love to just go off and do an hour of, I don't know, yoga because I want to be a yoga instructor. So, you know, putting things in the schedule to make it work, um, I think would be a good place to start as well if for those people. So we've all got aspirations, uh, voiceover work for me. Also, I want to be the doctor in Matilda the Musical. Uh, if anyone's out there, please. Uh, Anyone listening? I'm hoping, I'm hoping it does come to Melbourne. I've got my singing voice ready. Um, but Leonie, thank you so much for spending, you know, 40 minutes. We were, I did comment that it was, I thought it was going to be very difficult to get two Italians, background Italian people and one Greek person to 40 minutes. And we've just about done it. So it's pretty good. Yeah. But Leonie, how do we find you? If people wanting to find you, of course, also your, your talent agency person, you might as well put them out there because goodness knows you, this might actually <laughs> leapfrog you onto the project or something. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. So, um, yeah. And thank you guys for having me on. So. For, I'm basically most active on Instagram. So that's just Parenthood Pod, P O D. Uh, you'll find uh, a, yeah, a link there to the episodes that we do and, and um, details as to how to contact me. And I am with Brooklyn Management. So, um, yeah, for those of you out there who are looking for the next, you know, TV person who is an half African, half Greek girl who does a bit of podcasting and is a mum, you know, I'm your girl. So <laughs> hit me up. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been amazing to chat. Thanks, guys.